Transit Church. Thanks for tuning in with us this morning. If I haven't met you yet, you're tuning in for the first time. My name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And today we're continuing our sermon series looking at the Psalms. And today we'll be in Psalm 130. And I think in God's providence, this song was, was chosen weeks before this morning. And I think it's a fitting psalm for where we find ourselves this week as a nation. Because in addition to uh, the confusion and fear and sadness that this pandemic has brought about this week we witness yet another horrific event of racial injustice play, take place in our nation. And, uh, and as believers in the Lord Jesus, when we're confronted with evil and the darkness of this world, there's this tension that begins to take place in our hearts and our souls and our, and our minds. And that tension is between faith and doubt hope and despair and so we begin to ask questions as we watch videos of 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 people essentially being murdered by the very people that swore an oath to protect them we watch videos saying god where are you in the midst of this when are you going to come and and heal and redeem our broken land our broken earth come lord jesus where are you and how long oh lord will this continue to take place right and those are the questions that we wrestle with the confusion the anger the sorrow. And what we learn today in Psalm 130 is that this tension, this tension between faith and doubt and hope and despair, this will always be at play in the life of the, belie- in the, life of the believer who on this side of the grave will always be confronted with, to varying degrees, the horrific darkness of this sin-cursed world, right? John 16, the night uh, that Jesus was betrayed, he's sharing a meal in the upper room with his disciples, and this is what Jesus uh, tells his disciples in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Watch this. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so there's two promises that Jesus gives anyone who would take up their cross and follow Jesus. One is the promise of tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation. But there's another promise where Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so my hope this morning is the hope of this psalmist, the author of, this, of Psalm 130, who exhorts the people of God in the midst of their despair and their doubts and their confusion to place their hope firmly in the Lord. That's my hope this morning is that he would increase and magnify his his light would shine so brightly in our souls that it would dispel the despair and doubt so that we could march forth down the field bringing the good news of, of of the ministry of reconciliation of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs the hope of the gospel in this day and age that we're living in. So what we see the psalmist do, we see the psalmist in this psalm shift from despair to hope in eight verses and there's three things he He does. He models for us. One, the first thing he does is he cries out to the Lord in the midst of his despair. Two, then he waits on God. And then three, he hopes in the Lord. So those are the three things we're going to be looking at this morning in Psalm 130. And so if you have your Bibles, turn there. We're going to read this together. Psalm 130 verses will be on your screens as well. And then I'll pray and we'll dive into this text. Verse one, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. 
Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O oh Lord, should, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, with the Lord, there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Father, we come before you resting in your promises to us that with you, with you, there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. Lord, we come to you this morning with our hearts heavy. Come, I come to you this morning uh, with confusion and some doubts that all of us are wrestling with outrage, anger at what we're seeing take place, Lord Jesus. And we just pray. We say, oh, Lord Jesus, come. Heal this broken land. Tear down dividing walls of, of hostility. Bring reconciliation. Bring peace. Usher in peace. And would your church rise up with the message of hope that only you can bring, Lord Jesus, to our brokenness and to our darkness. So come, Lord Jesus. With these next few minutes, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way with your word and your people this morning. Would I decrease and be forgotten? And would you magnify? Would you increase in our minds and our hearts and our souls and our lives and our communities and our nation and in our world, Lord Jesus? We gather this morning online for, your, for one purpose, to magnify your name, Lord Jesus. So come take your glory with your word this morning, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, verse 1, we see the psalmist cries out to the Lord. Look at verse 1. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And what immediately sticks out to me here is the psalmist gives like a geographical location of where he's crying out from to the Lord. He says, out of the, the depths I cry out to you. And so if we were to ask, what does that mean? He's simply giving the Lord a heads up of the location of his heart. He's saying, I'm, on, I'm not on the heights I'm not at the, the summit of uh, the mountain overlooking this beautiful expanse. I'm not even in the valley. I'm in the belly of the mountain, right? And so uh, on, on Jen and I's first date, we, um, we met at a Rockbridge work crew weekend, a Young Life camp one weekend, and then that Wednesday I drove four hours down to Blacksburg, and we had our first date in, uh, at, at, at Virginia Tech, Blacksburg area. And uh, for our first date, Jen wanted to go caving, wanted to take me caving, which was awesome. And so anyway, so uh, we went like half an hour outside Blacksburg, her and some of our friends. We drove, uh, parked by these train tracks, climbed this mountain. And here's the deal with caving. If you've ever been caving before, it's a great idea and you're excited about it until you actually enter into the cave. And then you're asking yourself, why in the world are we doing this, right? And so you enter the cave and all of a sudden the, the air is dank and and, and, and just like humid and moldy and nasty, right? And then on the ceiling, there's, there's bats hanging from the ceiling. And, and we know how, you know, just like, like that's, nobody likes to, you know, be dodging bats as they're, they're walking through a cave. And then on top of that, on, on this trek we were, we were going, apparently you can go about two hours into this cave and we're going. And there's certain spots where you have to get like on all fours and, and squeeze through uh, this like this, this crack in the wall to get through to the other side. So now you're covered in, in dirt and mud, but not just like, not just mud, but like cave mud, 
like that has never seen the light of, of, of day, and that's pretty disgusting. Just you're covered in mud, and, and there's these deep uh, uh, caverns in the cave that, that, that go down till, you know, to the abyss, to eternity. You have no idea how far down that goes, but you know, if I fall there, I'm, I'm dead. And you're asking yourself the question, is this girl that I just met this last weekend worth dying for? I don't know, right? And so all those things happen when you're caving, but here's the deal. That's not the, the, the worst part is none of that stuff. The worst part about the caving experience is the utter darkness, right? That's the worst part about being in the depths is the fact that the darkness is overwhelming. You lose your sight. You lose your vision. About an hour into our trek into the cave, we all turned off our cave lamps, and all of a sudden, I had never, that was my first time being... <laughs> in a cave was meeting Jen, which was awesome because I was like, I think I, this is my wife. This is amazing. We're going on an adventure. I love this. And anyways, uh, all of a sudden you realize, wow, th this is what utter darkness is. I cannot see my hand in front of my face. And there's that realization of like all of our lives now depend on off-brand AAA batteries. Like if these batteries go, we're an hour into this cave. There's no way we're making it out, out of here alive. And so that's the worst part about being in the depths is you lose vision, you lose hope, you lose light, right? Like the darkness seems to be all that you can see and it's enveloping you. And so when the psalmist is crying out from the depths, I believe what he's saying to the Lord is, Lord, I am surrounded by darkness. And it seems as if the darkness is overwhelming and the little light that I have left in this headlamp is starting to flicker, Lord. And so I need you to show uh, because I'm at the point of despair, which is losing my hope, which is losing light as the darkness is surrounding me. And this is the tension. This is our pilgrim journey. This is the tension of every believer as we wrestle with the already but not yet of both our own redemption, the Lord redeeming the darkness, continuing to sanctify uh, us and, 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 and take the darkness out of our hearts, but also redeeming this, this sin-cursed world and the darkness out there. And so there's that tension, tribulation and the overcomer who, over, uh, who overcomes uh, that. And so that's the tension that we walk in as believers. But what's interesting in this psalm if we were to ask, what were the depths, what was the deep place the psalmist was crying out from, what was the darkness that was surrounding him, uh, the circumstance or the situation, what we see is that it was his own sin. Look at verses 2 through 4. This is what he says. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What immediately sticks out is he's crying out from uh, the depths, is he's crying out with this, this awareness of the, the darkness that's in here, not just the darkness that's out there. What's bringing him despair and grief to the point of crying out to the Lord from the deep is, is him being overwhelmed with the darkness that's still lurking in his heart, not the darkness just out there. He's saying that the, the biggest threat, the biggest danger in my life is the darkness that's still dwelling in here. Look at what he says. He says, Lord, please show me mercy and forgive me. I can't believe it. I've done it again. The very thing that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And if you were to keep a record of my wrongs, you'd run out of ink before I made it to lunch today. Right? That's, that's the overwhelming sense that he's confronted with the darkness of his own heart and he's crying out to God for forgiveness. And maybe you've been there for me this week as I've been uh, just, just in sorrow over, yes, the darkness that's in our world, but too, like, um, maybe you've experienced being a little bit home. Uh, more that there's been a little bit more interpersonal conflict as you've been uh, kind of on lockdown and, and, and spending more time with your family. What, and what the Lord convicted me of, uh, uh, what came out, right, and the Lord convicted me of this week was how my tongue is, um, 
sowing uh, decay rather than life to flourish in my household, if that makes sense, right? Like, like just pray for Jen. When you live with a preacher, it can be kind of hard sometimes, and I'm quick to speak and, and slow to listen. And there was a morning earlier this week where, uh, and I shared this with a couple guys from the transit of like, fellas, like there's still immaturity in my heart where out of the overflow of my heart, my mouth is quick to speak criticism rather than like, like I just want in, 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 in my deepest desires, I want my tongue to cause a life to thrive and flourish. Everyone in my family, right? To cause a life to flourish, to flourish in my household. And so I was overwhelmed um, with that. But what's, what's so beautiful about knowing Jesus is, is in verse four, right? It says, for in you there is, there is forgiveness, but with you there is forgiveness. So I ran to the Lord this week and I received forgiveness and pardon and reconciliation with family members and with the Lord. And he restored me and put my feet out of the depths and back on solid ground because that's what he does when we go to him. But see, listen, often the problem we have in the church is that when we're confronted with conviction of sin, there's two things we can go. We can either listen to the enemy and be wrestled with shame and self-hatred, and that keeps our distance from Jesus. We don't go to Jesus to receive a a, a fresh forgiveness and a fresh pardon for our iniquity, and we stay stuck in our sin because we believe the lie. This is the lie we believe, that instead of verse 4 being, but with you, God, there is forgiveness, we believe that, but with you, God, there is condemnation. With you, God, there is disgust. With you, God, there is hatred, so that we fear that if we were to go to Jesus with our sins and shortcomings and our darkness, he would say, get out of my sight. I'm disgusted and I'm disappointed. I can't believe you did that again. But uh, Jeff bought me this book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and it is just phenomenal. And, and uh, we see the whole, the whole premise of the book is, is the heart that Jesus has for sinners. And Dane Ortland has a, a quote here that I'm going to share from his book about how Christ delights in the fact when we come to him with our sin, because that's what he's in the very business of doing, is giving us forgiveness and showing us mercy. This is what he says. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, he, talking about Jesus, he does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. And then he goes on to say this, when you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. Did you guys catch that last line? When you go to Jesus with your sinfulness and your perplexity and your sorrow, you are going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. Because that's what he came to do, was to heal and to save the lost, and to lift the burdens of those who are heavy laden and burdened, and to give them rest. That's what he came to do. And so the application for this first point is, man, when we're confronted with the darkness and despair of our own sin or the sins of those around us, and it causes perplexity and confusion and despair, and if we're in the depths, we cry out to the Lord in the depths so that we can get restored and we can shift from despair to reconciliation, forgiveness, and to, and to hope. Right, And the problem that we have is often if, if our hearts are synonymous with a house, is a lot of us here watching this, I believe, uh, have the blinds shut and the door shut, locked out, and Jesus has been relegated to the front yard of our hearts. And there's certain places we're saying we are going to let the darkness 
uh, uh, still stay in our hearts because, Jesus, you will not come in and speak into this. And often it's shame uh, and, uh, and, 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 and lies we're believing that we're keeping the blind shut and we're, 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 we're pushing out the light of the world into the deep recesses of our hearts. And my hope this morning is that you would trust in the goodness of our God and, and fling open the blinds, kick open the door. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and I want to fellowship with you. I want to cast out the darkness that's still remaining. That's the, the, that's the work I came to do, my redemption being applied to your hearts and your life. So fling open the curtains, church, of your heart. If there's any secrets or any places where we're still refusing to yield and to let that light in. Let the light of the world shine into the darkness of your hearts. It's the very work the light of the world came to do is to displace darkness. He wants whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Open up those curtains and let the light shine. And so that's the first thing we see is that we're given a free pass when we're in the pit, when we're in the depths to cry out to God in the midst of our sorrow and confusion. The second thing we see the psalmist do was then he waits for the Lord. Look at verses five through six. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. And if we were to ask the helpful question, what in the world does it mean to wait for the Lord? What is he talking about here? Well, I think simply put, what what essentially he's saying at face value is he's awaiting the arrival of someone. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm waiting for someone. He's the, listen, listen, uh, for me growing up, I, I got a couple scars on my head, one on my forehead, one in the back, and there's been, there's been a couple times where my parents have had to call 911, right? The cry for help has gone out as I fell back in my rocking chair, and there were some things behind me. Anyways, the cry for help came out, and then there's this waiting period, right? Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or whatever, where, where the waiting period between the, the cry for help and the arrival of the help, in between we call that waiting, right? Between the cry for help and the arrival of that help. And what this psalm teaches us is this, is not all waiting is created equal, meaning this, that in our waiting, we are telling a story about what we believe about who we are waiting for. Let me repeat that. In our waiting, we are telling a story. Like in our waiting, meaning how we wait, we are telling a story about what we believe, about who we are waiting for. So for example, before I came uh, on staff at the transit, I was a a youth pastor and did youth ministry for multiple years. And what I learned was there were multiple times where I would schedule hangouts or or meetups with, uh, you know, students or whatever. Like, hey, let's go to, you know, like Taco Bell or this hangout or whatever. And, um... I learned quickly that there was about a 50-50 chance that people would actually show up when they said they would show up. Actually, it was more like 40-60 in some, with, with certain individuals. And uh, I'm friends with them still, so if you're watching, you know who you are. But anyways, um, so what I would, what I would do, what I, I learned pretty quickly, and I was in seminary at the time, and so wherever I went, if I ever agreed, like on a Sunday night youth group, hey, man, like this Wednesday, like let's go to Starbucks after school, hang out, bring your friend, you know, whatever, I would bring, I would usually schedule appointments at a coffee shop or close to a coffee shop, and I would pack my bag, and I'd bring my bag with me, packed full of my laptop and, and you know, uh, all the things that I, I needed to study because I would wait, and, and 3.30 on the dot, just waiting, five minutes past, so in there, and boom, bust out everything I'm studying, and with the expectation that this person is going to ghost me again, right? And so, this, so what I want to share is this. What story, if, I'm, if that's how I'm waiting, I'm hedging my bets, right? What story am I telling 
about who I'm waiting for, the character, the nature of who. I'm saying they're not worthy of my trust. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hedge my bets because I don't think they're going to show up. And tragically, that's often the way we wait in this tension between the cry for help and the, re- the arrival of the Lord, this tension that is the tension for every believer. In our waiting, we're telling a story about who our God is and who he's proven himself to be. That's what we see in this song that there are ways to honor God in our waiting and dishonor him, to trash his character or to esteem his character, right? And, and, and this is how we know that in this psalm, is he says, he, he says, this is how he's waiting for the Lord. He's cried for help out of the deep. And he says, this is how he's waiting, more than the watchman waits for the morning. What in the world is a watchman? Right, got news for you. Twenty five, you know, twenty five, uh, twenty five hundred years ago, it wasn't a dude who made watches. Right, they didn't have watches back then. This is uh, what a watchman was. It was someone who, uh, in ancient cities, uh, these watchmen were p- uh, positioned on the city walls throughout the night to keep watch for threats that might come. Essentially, there were surveillance cameras around uh, the, the, the city, ancient surveillance cameras to keep watch for any threats that would come throughout the night. And what the psalmist is saying here as he is saying, it's not just like, it's not like I'm um, um, just waiting like watchmen wait for the morning. That anticipation when the morning would come, be great relief, their city was safe, their shift had ended, rest was coming, right? Uh, he is saying that I, I will wait for the Lord more than a watchman waits for the morning. Hour after hour of darkness, after hour of darkness, after hour of darkness, waiting, waiting. Now listen, it's helpful to ask this question. Do you think any watchman in the ancient Near East ever doubted that the morning would dawn? Ever doubted that the sun would rise? No, no, that was never, uh, 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 when they're sitting on the walls and darkness seems to be surrounding them, they never doubted uh, whether that sun was going to peak over that horizon. No, they knew deep down that it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. And so these watchmen, the way they waited was one, with confident assurance that just as the sun has risen every single day of my life, it will rise again and that blazing, glorious, massive sun will burst forth over that horizon and dispel darkness. So I have confident assurance and then two, and so because I have confident assurance, I'm going to wait for e- with eager expert, expectation, eager expectation that that sun will rise again. That's what it looks like to hope in the Lord. He is coming. He will show up, and I will wait with confident assurance and eager expectation because he has proven himself time and time again to be faithful to his people. That's what it looks like to honor God in our waiting. A biblical hope is not, is not the hope of this world. We say, oh, I hope, I hope so-and-so shows up. Oh, I hope. No, no, no. Biblical hope is completely different. Biblical hope is the assurance and the expectation that, that in the future, God will show up because that's what he does. That's his posture towards his people. And this is the kind of waiting that honors God and uh, before we wrap up this section and move to our thor- third point, I, I had the, the blessing of catching up with an old friend, uh, a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in months. And uh, we grabbed coffee and then sat outside this parking lot. And um, long story short is that uh, this has been a kind of a rough season for him, uh, particularly financially. Uh, his business has really... Uh, been pretty much de- like really devastated through this pandemic, and and uh, it was an awesome conversation, and uh, the Lord was all over that conversation. It was really awesome, um, and something that struck me was um, something that my friend said, and it convicted me because I didn't have the, f- the, f- the faith when it comes to finances that he did. 
And uh, he said this, he's like, you know, I'm not, because I asked him, I was like, hey man, well, are you guys like, you guys okay financially? Like, you know, like mortgage, kids, all that stuff. And he goes, I don't, he's like, I don't worry about the money. He says, the Lord will provide. The Lord has always provided. And the Lord will provide. I'm not worried about the money. That's not it. And I was just taken aback. At, at, I was like, wow, like, look at that faith. Look at his posture. Look at the story he's telling in the waiting, in the waiting, waiting for the provision that he's telling about his God. He said, he has never failed me. He has never failed my family. He will provide. He will provide because that's what he does, right? And, and that, that fed my faith, right? And so my challenge to us before we shift to the next transition is, is whatever, we're, whatever that tension is for us in our waiting, right? And there's, and there, and there's a lot of tension, in our world today, in that tension for the believer, for you, how are you waiting for the Lord in this season of your life between the cry for help and the arrival of that help? And in your waiting, what story are you going to tell others about what you believe about God? What story are you going to tell others uh, what you believe about God? And the third thing we see is that his waiting is essentially this. It's a choice to hope in the Lord. Verses 7 through 8. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord, he's saying hope in the Lord because the Lord is trustworthy. Watch this. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. When is the exhortation to hope in the Lord needed? It's when people are wrestling with despair and losing their hope and are tempted to place their hope elsewhere, right? When the darkness, as the watchman is confronted with the darkness, and he's tempted to doubt whether the morning will dawn and the Lord will come and redeem uh, his people, right? Uh, the, the, the tension there is you begin to wrestle with doubts, right? And, and scripture kind of equates it to, in, to, in a way, to, to adultery, right? It's not just that, that uh, uh, hope is something that we, can, we just need to muster up. It's the object of our hope. We need to place our hope in the Lord. Even we walk by faith, not by sight. Even when we just see the darkness, we still hope in the Lord because it's who he's proven himself to be time and time again. And often when things aren't going our way in the waiting period and it seems like the tribulation is overcoming, uh, the tribulation and darkness is overcoming the light of, of the world, we start doing some window shopping with our hope. You say, ah, oh, okay, well, this, sure look, this worldview sure looks a, to make a lot more sense over here. And I'm not saying we can't wrestle with doubts, and I haven't wrestled with doubts before, but, but, but listen, church, we need to come. There, there is, there is a, a, what we see with hope in the Lord is that hope in the Lord is this beautiful choice that we see the disciples make in the Gospels when after Jesus says some hard things to the crowds and, and, and crowds just disperse and, and they walk away from Jesus, the few disciples remain, and Jesus says, will you go to you? And they look at Jesus, and they say this. They look at all the other places they could put, place their hope. Look at all the other places, all the other worldviews, all the other options, and they look at Jesus, and they say, where else would we go? You alone had the words of everlasting life. That's what they say. We've burned our boats on the shore, uh, and yeah, we, we know how the story goes. They wrestled with doubts, right? At the same time. But when the darkness came and that tension there of looking like fools for Christ, right? That tension there of, not under, of being confused with what Jesus was saying. They said, where else are we going to go? 
There's no other hope for humanity than the light of the world displacing the darkness. There is no other gospel. There is no other hope of of reconciliation, of redemption. There is no other hope for the darkness that plagues the human heart than the light of the world coming into human hearts and redeeming people and changing their destinies and stories and communities and nations and worlds, right? That's the hope. The only hope for the nations, the only hope for our nation is the good news of who Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in his death and his resurrection. And that's, that's the gospel. That's the hope we carry as the light of the world, as Jesus indwells us. We carry that good news down the field in the midst of trouble, in the midst of tribulation, because we believe that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Hope here, what we see is a choice. Israel, people of God, stop window shopping with your hope. Place your hope in the Lord. And this isn't an exhortation as much as, as it is an invitation. He's inviting them to place their hope in the best place you could ever place your hope, in the, in, the, in, the, in the God of steadfast love, in the God who's plentiful in redemption. And this is what he's saying, Israel, why in the world would you put your hope in anyone or anything else to save you, to comfort you, to rescue you, to redeem you? Look at the goodness and faithfulness of our God. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's plentiful in redemption. Take your gaze off of all of your false hopes and fix your gaze on the goodness of your God and trust in the only one who can truly fulfill what he promises for you. And I love the line here in verse 7 where this psalmist says, with the Lord is plentiful redemption. Plentiful redemption, right? Isn't this the story of the redeemed of God? Your story in mind that he has been he has been gracious and kind and generous, right? That he has not been uh, cheap or miserly in his redemptive love towards us, but the scripture says that he lavishes his grace upon us, and that grace is immeasurable. That in Christ Jesus he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are truly uh, overwhelmed with his goodness. And it's kind of when we reflect on the depths of our sin, the, the, uh, the, the, the holiness and the righteousness of God, and yet his grace descending and redeeming us up out of the pit and calling us sons and daughters. And I'll conclude with, with Psalm 8 here. I'll slowly wrap up with Psalm 8. I love Psalm 8. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist here ends with a bold confident, surefire, future tense, future tense declaration that the Lord of hosts will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He's saying, people of God, I know it looks like the darkness of our sin and our land is all around us and will soon overwhelm and overtake us, but mark my words, Keep your eyes fixed firmly on the horizon because the light is coming and when he does, he will forever displace the darkness of our hearts and the darkness of our land. In Psalm 138, the Lord says, I am coming and I will redeem my people from all their iniquities and centuries after centuries pass. Centuries after centuries pass. And then we find out this to be true. In Matthew 4, 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, 
on them a light has dawned. Jesus descends into the darkness as the only light, the only hope for this dark world. John 12, John 12. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Look at this invitation. Look at this invitation, church. Look at the blessing. We don't walk in darkness anymore. Look at the invitation of Jesus here. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The reason we get to descend out of the pit is because Jesus first descended into the pit on our behalf. He's not distant. His hands are not, you know, uh, 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 clean from the, 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 the dirt and the filth. A baby was born in a dank, dirty, dark manger, and that was the beginning of light cracking over the horizon, the light of the world entering into this dark, sin-cursed world and displacing darkness. It's beautiful news, right? And Jesus says, man, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, church. Do we understand the privilege we have as the redeemed of of the Lord, as those who have seen and have the light of the world dwelling in our hearts, casting out darkness? And if you're watching this today, and and man, the, the world is dark and your heart is dark, would you put your hope in Jesus? Would you open up your heart in full surrender to him today and say, Lord Jesus, my heart is dark with sin. Would you come in and forgive me and heal me and make me new and dispel this darkness deep inside my heart? You're the only game in town. There is no other way. There is no other solution to displace darkness than the light of the world. And the beautiful news here, and I'll I'll wrap up, the beautiful news here that we see with the, the verses we just read, but also the promise given in Psalm 38, 138 is this, is God kept his word. Church, he showed up and he redeemed Israel from all his iniquities. And it was his own doing because uh, the son of God took on flesh and climbed on the cross and bore our iniquities so that we could be redeemed from all of our iniquities. The Lord has shown up. And so now this is a past tense reality for us where we, the people of God, when we're wrestled with the confusion and despair of our sins and shortcomings, can say, the Lord has redeemed me. The Lord will redeem me, but also on the cross to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that the Lord has redeemed Nick Mudrizo from all of my iniquities. That's good news for us today. There's no other hope for humanity than that news right there. It's beautiful news. That's the assurance we have. The light of the world has shone into the darkness of our hearts. And so we, the church, no longer walk in darkness, but we have this beautiful calling. It's beautiful calling as the church to let our light shine brightly. And that light is not us. That light is Jesus shining in us. He is the one who tears down dividing walls of hostility between us and God and us and each other. He imparts to us. He gives us, 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation. And so I'll close with this transit church, wrestling with despair and doubt. My exhortation to you would be to not window shop with your hope, but to hope it firmly in our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. He's proven himself to be faithful time and time again. His redemption is plentiful. And listen, in this Jesus has promised this. In Revelation, he says, and I am coming soon. And I am coming soon. Soon, And so what that means for us is we, the people of God, who are living in between his first coming and his second coming, let's not waste our waiting. 
But in the midst of the darkness in our land, let's keep our lamps trimmed and burning and our eyes fixed firmly on the horizon. Watch this, waiting with confident assurance and eager expectation that our Savior is coming again to make all things right and to bring his redemptive work to full and final completion. It's, it's who he is. It's, it's what he's promised to do. He shows up. Let's not hedge our bets on this side of eternity. Let's not pack our bags just in case God doesn't show up. He said he's coming again to make all things right. And so we lay down everything at his feet. We hand him the blank check of our lives and we say, you fill in the blanks. I'm not hedging my bets anymore. You've proven yourself to be worthy of my trust, worthy of my hope. I will, I will give you my life with confident assurance and eager expectation that you will walk with me every step of the way through the darkness. You won't take me out of the darkness, but you'll be with me in the depths, in the valley, in, 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 in the tribulation, because greater is he who is in me, the light of the world, than the darkness that's outside of me, church. And so that's the good news of Jesus Christ that we, church, we carry this today. We carry this today. And may our mouths not be silent as we carry the only hope that this world has. May our mouths not be silent in preaching this beautiful news of forgiveness and redemption and salvation and reconciliation that only comes through the light of the world uh, uh, casting out and displacing darkness. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, uh, going to him like the psalmist does, right? What I encourage you this week, if you're uh, going to the Lord and you're still wrestling with confusion and angst and sorrow, what we've seen in the psalm is that God invites you and he invites us to call out from the depths, to call out from the depths. So let's do that. And I'll give you a minute to do that. Father, we thank you that you love the world so much that you descend into the world to shine brightly, light in the midst of darkness, so that people who are overwhelmed and overcome with darkness can finally see the truth of who you are, God, and the truth of who they were created to be. So we come before you grateful that you don't leave us in the dark, you don't leave us to scratch and claw and try to, try to trip and find our way out of the depths you've, you've, you've shown in our hearts. You've shown us the truth, Jesus. In Jesus, was a, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We see your heart and your posture towards sinful humanity on the cross. That while we were walking in darkness, that you died for us, Jesus. So thank you. Thank you for that. For those of us here who are watching this and Maybe the Lord's been working on your heart. I just want to pray for you now. For those that still have um, this darkness they know that they're walking with deep in their hearts, 
And just pray, Holy Spirit, you come upon them and speak to them and comfort them and let them know that you're worthy of their trust. That they can open up the blinds, they can open up the door and let you in. And same for the non-believer who's maybe been, been window shopping where to place their hope. And they're overwhelmed with the darkness of their own life and the darkness of the world, but, 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 but something, is, something is welling up within them. This light is shining within them. Would you now, if that's you, that describes you, would you cry out? Would you cry out from the deep to your Savior, Jesus, today and say, shine your light in my heart. I want to know you. I want to see you. I'm tired of walking in darkness. I'm tired of walking blindly, having no hope in this world. Would you give us hope? So thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you give us hope. Our hope is sure. Our hope is confident. Our hope is in your character and in your nature. We need not doubt. We need not worry. We need to just fix our gaze on who you are and who you've promised to be for us. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray that in this season for our nation and for our, our world, that uh, your bride, the church, would rise up, that hope would well up within us, that you would take us out of the depths and onto the battlefield to march forward in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of persecution, to, to shine brightly for you, Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't hedge our bets anymore, we wouldn't window shop other worldviews or, 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 or ask anymore, are you going to show up? But we say, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. We've seen the transforming work that you bring, Jesus, in our hearts, and so we're going to bring that beautiful message, that beautiful news, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring, new, bring good news. Will we do that today, church? Will we rise up and speak the hope of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, into, into the darkness in our homes, in our neighborhoods, this nation, in our world, Lord Jesus? So here we are, and your church says, send us, send us, because you first sought us. Now may we go with the beautiful uh, work that you've done in us and may we be used by you, Lord God, to simply be a vessel to do for others what you've already done for us. So we come before you grateful and thankful um, that you are plentiful in redemption and have proven yourself to be trustworthy, Lord Jesus. In you is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.